Welcome to Paving the Path. I'm your host, Shiva Mirosaini. People know me as a customer experience champion and a digital executive at Fortune 50 companies. I plan on paving the path in my show with women game changers, thought leaders, and executives touching the entire spectrum of digital transformation in healthcare. Join me in exploring the digital renaissance that's shaping healthcare today and forever, changing the future of wellness, care, and health. Welcome to another episode of Paving the Path. Today, my guest is Nassim Sayani. She's the co-founder and managing director at Emeline Ventures, a pre-seed and seed stage venture fund focused on investing in female founders, building game-changing businesses, which are helping women in particular manage their health, build their wealth, and live in a cleaner, safer world. Nassim brings 20-plus years of venture, business building, and operating experience to her fund. Prior to launching Emmeline, she was a partner at BCG Digital Ventures, managing director at a corporate venture capital fund in the real estate sector, and an interim CEO of a global travel publishing company. She lives in Los Angeles with her partner, their three-year-old rowdy toddler, and their very firstborn name, Lola. I know Nassim for over a decade, and it's truly a pleasure to have her on the show. I'm so excited for this episode. Nassim, here we are. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for making time and joining our show. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It's so nice to see you. And it is true. We've known each other for such a long time. It's great to be doing something like this together. So thank you. Absolutely. You know, I've been watching your career and I know you as one of the most tenacious bravest women leaders and leaders in general, my network. So I'm so happy that our paths crossed again today for this very special episode. You know, maybe to get us started, if you can maybe share with our audience how you ended up being so interested and focused with respect to women's-led initiatives. What brings you to this moment? right now? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's funny because everything in hindsight looks like it all hooks together very neatly. But, you know, I could tell you four, eight, ten years ago, I couldn't have predicted I'd be running a fund right now, but it absolutely makes sense now. So a couple of things. I come from a deep background in management consulting, which is originally where you and I met. And it was all revenue focused, all growth focused. And it was circa 2007 when we first had iPhones in our hands and clients were asking digital strategy questions and didn't know what the phone was going to do to our everyday experience. And so it that very serendipitously led me into just now a 20-year career or more of being in digital. And so I've done a lot of great work in pure digital strategy work. I've done a lot of work in innovation and with incubators. I've led an agency. I've led a startup incubator. I've built businesses. I have raised funding for them. I've done all of those things. And in in all of those experiences, as you may be able to relate to, I was always one of two or three women in the room, always one of two or three women of color in the room and of any kind of color. And so it, it became a scenario where I was always the face of diversity. I was always pulling the other women, the younger women up with me, making sure that their careers could be supported the way mine had been. And as I was then getting deeper into startup land, I was I was applying a lot of skills, a lot of experience to building businesses Uh, that didn't have enough women running them. And it wasn't that those women don't exist, is that they were just not in the circles that I was working in. So 
it became a personal mission to go find them because the impact I wanted to have was, yes, we can build businesses anywhere, but you know, the, the ecosystems are built the way they are. The systems are built the way they are. And either those women are not crossing paths with me by way of structures, by way of systems, or they simply don't have the systems and structures around them that they need to then also elevate and also succeed. So I went looking. So I got plugged into a few different networks, started meeting female founders, started kind of digging in as an advisor, making some angel investments. And it it was really a matter of bringing the same skills that I was using in my day job to founders out in the wild who maybe otherwise didn't have access or were trying to navigate, but there was, there's no path, right? We're kind of figuring that out right now. And so it just merged to my own personal experience with diversity within wanting to pay it forward and create some better ecosystems around female founders that, that we're building now that are getting better, but, but don't really exist in the same way. And that, that's the impetus. So when I got to the point of really investing and then launching the fund, entire focus is female founders because we know the stats. 2% of VC money goes to female founders, even less of that to female founders of color. And so there's a lot of work to do. And I wanted to be part of doing that work. So if you don't mind, maybe we can just dig a little bit deeper. Healthcare has, is going through a major transformation. I know that you invest in more than just healthcare, but you have made a couple of pretty groundbreaking investment in women-led early startups that have made quite a bit of noise. And from a time perspective, again, it's very much relevant. Can you just tell us what is broken and what is Emily Ventures doing in terms of the strategic investments to help kind of change Yeah, I love that you asked the question that way. We're hopeful to change the game. That's the mission we're on. And so there's a couple of things happening. You know, if you go back into the history of clinical trials, it wasn't until about 1992 that women were included in clinical trials. And we had been excluded as of something early 1970s. And so you're talking about two decades of medical research that did not include women. and But now floodgates have opened as of, I believe it's 1992. And now women are now actively included. There's more of a diversity mandate around clinical trials than there used to be. Uh, this is important for a lot of reasons because the implication of that is that for those two decades, research on women's health was done on male physiology. That has to sit for a minute. Research on women's health was done on male physiology. Now we're doing research on women's health on women. That's a big, huge deal. And it's what is fueling a lot of the femtech innovation that's happening and a lot of the work that a lot of the founders that we're working with are doing, and it's why they can do it. So that has opened up just a whole Pandora's box of opportunities. So a handful of uh, pilot, so we have pilot investments prior to launching our fund one. And there's one, there's two companies in there in particular where they're in the maternal health space. And the reason we got excited was not because they're supporting maternal health, But by way of supporting maternal health, they're actually building a vast database of maternal care protocols across all different types of women, right? Race, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, location, condition, et cetera. That database simply does not exist anywhere else, right? So when you think about the 10-year, 20-year outcome of a business like that, they will have the potential to not have only changed what at-home maternal care looks like, but they will have the potential to influence policy, to influence care protocols, to change how we understand how women are cared for when they're pregnant. And so it's the dramaticness of what we can do and what we can influence is significant. And so we're always looking for that when we make investments. We have 
One in our, and so our current portfolio with Fund One, we have four healthcare investments so far. One is in the sexual wellness space. And so when we think about this, the lived experience of women, a lot of previous funding, a lot of funding even today is very tightly focused on fertility. And that's fine. But there's more to a woman's life than fertility. So we're, we're trying to make sure actively that we're looking for investments that span her entire lived experience. So sexual wellness is a big one. We have an investment there as a company out of the UK. They have a whole IP library around different sexual wellness technologies and solutions that they're going to take to market with CPG partners. We have an investment in a mental health solution around women's health. So specifically... Precision medicine meets mental health for women so they can be with you through your from your adolescence through your your fertility, your menopause, your grown-up experience, and it'll connect back into your primary care at every point in time because mental health again historically has not been gendered. It is all kind of one lens for therapy, for access, for support. But women come at this differently, right? We're dealing with different burdens, we're dealing with different questions, we're solving for 10 things at once the kind of support we need in mental health needs to be very specific and deliberate. So that was an important one for us. And again, they're going to build an entire view on data and insight around different women at different points in their life. That's going to change how we think about women's mental health. Right. And then another important one is uh, one that's focused on postpartum care for black women in particular. And so the morbidity rates for black moms are severe. Most of them don't want to have their babies in mainstream hospitals because they don't trust the experience. You know, we've heard stories about that in the news more and more. And so this founder is focused on building both a certification program and community that can just encompass black women when they're ready to have their babies and that when they go into a hospital, should they choose to, they can feel safe. And then the fourth is an invest, a telehealth business that's supporting abortion, miscarriage, and postpartum. And you know, the other, the politics are what they are around that topic in particular. But when it comes to women's health, the connectivity between an ab- the a woman's ability to manage her health and make life decisions for herself, and her ability to be financially secure and stable and successful, those two things for us are deeply tied. And so this business was important for that reason, because when you connect the dots between a woman's access to abortion, whether or not she has it, and her ability to actually continue to develop and support her life, these things are very tied. And you could derail her, the rest of her family, and all her financial outcomes because she couldn't get this one service, right? And so that was a critically important investment for us as well. That's why our thesis is what it is. It's managing her health, building her wealth, living in a cleaner, safer world because at the bottom of it all, if we can clean up the world around her and give her agency on her health and her wealth, she's going to do so much better than if we just solve for one or the other. So those, the connectivity between those things is, is critical for us. And we're not niche, right? You hear, oh, Femtech is so niche. You're like, well, it's 51% of the population. I'm not following how that's niche. And so we're, we're, working, we're working through you know, opening up that language, saying the words, talking about the implications, why these investments are important. And so, and you'll see this soon in our investor newsletters, we're going to start to communicate those KPIs. So revenue is, of course, important, growth important, traction important. But we also want to know how many women we're touching, how many households are we affecting, how much elevation are we creating in what they can do next? Because that, that we need to combine the business metrics with the impact metrics, because then the story becomes that much more powerful. And so for us, that's part of the strategy, right, is to make sure that we're saying all the words, that we're not shying away. It's part 
of her experience. And we need to be, we need to take the stigma out of it. We need to say out loud what the needs are. We need to not talk about it in hushed corners because that's going to make all the difference, right? A reason, a big reason healthcare skews the way it does right now is because we we don't say the words, right? Women's health has always been in the shadows and something you talk about at home, but not out loud. And now we're getting more out loud about it. And it, it's going to hopefully make a big difference. Let's talk about numbers a little bit. $3.7 trillion spent on healthcare out of our GDP in the U.S. alone. And estimation somewhere between 40 to 60% essentially wasted either because of bad experience, misdiagnosis, and the likes. You're talking about half of the population. You're talking about people with different backgrounds, social determinants of health, a very big issue here that you are directly and indirectly essentially addressing. You're talking about billions of dollars at hand being addressed simply because, and this is not just to put the onus on you and the team and those entrepreneurs, but truly giving voice and bringing the data and these new applications to life in a way that it was never addressed before. It's quite phenomenal. I want to switch a little bit because I know that you listen very closely as part of your role to a ton of entrepreneurs, other investors, trends, essentially a job of a, um, a venture capitalist. The great news is that healthcare is being transformed, is being disrupted in a major way, in fact, in many, many different ways. When it comes to women's healthcare, what is your hope in the next one or two years? And what are some of the setbacks that you continue to see as you look at investment trends? Yeah, it's a good question. So my hope, let's start there. My my hope is that a lot of the a lot of the stigma that we see around conditions that women are working through, that they get more real attention, right? So a woman goes into her doctor's office because she's having headaches or anxiety or whatever it is, you know, she typically will get home sent home and say, well, Take some time, I'll get some rest, right? And until she goes in three or four more times, you don't get to the actual diagnosis that could be much more dramatic. And now months have gone by and it, we could be saving lives at a different rate if we the system listened a little bit better. So my hope is that the system is listening better and that symptoms coming from women are taken more seriously, are heard more earnestly, and that the training that doctors are going through and that the awareness they have around how to diagnose those things, not that it's wrong and they're coming from a bad place, it's simply not built into the problem solving, right? And so it just needs to get built into the problem solving. So my hope is that that's all going to turn a corner and get much sharper. The roadblocks, and there's there's two, I think one is, you know, just be, by way of not having enough data on women's health, it's hard to teach those things in medical school. So my hope is that the new generations going to medical school are going to be seeking it out, asking for it, you know, supplementing what they need to do as far as their their degree and their education so that so they find it because they're a generation that's quite tangibly dealing with it as well, right? They're not we're not in a world where we're going to take it for granted anymore that my doctor always knows the right answer. We're we are much more empowered healthcare user these days. And so my hope is that that personal empowerment will translate into their educational empowerment. The second is that as the language, the the other blocker rather, is that a lot of the language isn't well understood or even in awareness 
with traditional VCs, right? And so there's a whole crop of other emerging manager, female-focused funds, much like ours. And the get, what we're doing is raising awareness. We're increasing representation. We are saying the words out loud, like I said, because I can tell you so many cool stories from founders I work with who will have a conversation with a VC. It'll be a room of, let's say, three male VCs. They'll start to talk about pelvic floor and they get the gloss over because they simply they don't, it's not their experience. They don't understand. They have to go home and ask their partner, ask their daughter, ask someone else. And so they, they can't engage on the solution because they don't understand the problem. And then they get the same founder gets in a room with us and we're three women and they don't have to explain those things. We're just like, yeah, we get it. Tell me what you're doing about it. And so it's a, the conversation is completely different. So that's a blocker that will shift, but it's going to take more and more funds like ours talking about those investments, raising the capital, you know, being the rallying cry that sits behind this language. And I think if those two things happen, and then by way of that, our large traditional VC counterparts are going to start to hear that as well, because this, you know, this is a whole asset base of companies that's going to be highly valuable, that's going to grow quickly, that has outcomes that are going to be significant. And so you're, if you don't understand language, fine, but you're going to want the exit. So let's get them educated enough that they want to be involved because, because the business value is there. My God, Nassim. Listen, how fitting to listen to you talking about paving the path, essentially, on this show. Part of what you're doing is not just investment, is public service, raising awareness, educating. And it takes a lot of bravery and stamina to do that. And then the CMI now is the person to truly pave the path. And I mean that wholeheartedly. I know you too long not to go this about you. And so it's, um, you're in good hands and those investments are in great hands. Speaking of investments, what does is, what is the road ahead look like for a million venture six to 12 months out? So we are in the midst of raising our fund one. We are registered as a 503C fund. And I say this because it's important because the distinction is that I can say out loud that we're fundraising. And I can say out loud, if you're interested in being an investor, please call us. If you're not registered that way, I can't say that. So I'm going to say that out loud. And so we're in the midst of raising our fund one. We're raising 10 million. We're racing into it and we're aiming to have the full fund raised by the end of next year. So the end of 2023. And then we'll be investing that capital over the course of about three to four years. We've already started, we're raising, we're deploying as we're raising, I should say. So uh, we'll have the bulk of the fund probably deployed by the end of a four year window. And then we'll be raising fund two. So fund two will hopefully be in the 25 to 30 million range. We'll get bigger with each fund that we raise and, you know, fingers crossed, we get the traction, the exits, the outcomes out of the fund one that makes fund two, fund three, you know, that much more possible. But the next six to 12 months are double down on fundraising and bring in the capital together. And then also in parallel, I lead all of our deal flow. And so I'm continuously like in market, talking to founders, meeting people and building roster so that we can be investing in things as we go, because there's a lot going on. So we want to make sure that we're building a really smart, really thoughtful, really powerful portfolio. And we're doing that in parallel to raising the capital. Absolutely. It's a very dynamic environment. And uh, I feel like you probably have many more opportunities that you'd like to probably extend text to, just because of how fast really the environment is changing. 
Just curious, Nassim, what other trends are are you paying attention to? Yeah, it's a good question. So there's a lot, kind of the the parallel trend and this is more of a financial services trend is that, and it's what we're looking for when we're investing, is that the financial services sector is starting to catch up to how much disposable income and how much deployment decision-making sits with women. And yet all the financial tools in the market are largely built for men. And it's just the nature of how these things were built. And so we're seeing, I'm seeing a lot more solutions that are catered to and built around rather the behaviors of female spenders, the behaviors around household spending, the behaviors around, you know, planning for for a household rather than planning for an individual. And that's a big difference in how how women are typically spending. And it's just innate to the role we play in our, our families and our communities. And so you're, and we're seeing a lot more tools built for that. The other thing that's happening is with, with crypto being as interesting and as volatile as it is, we're big believers in the change that's going to create for financial systems generally. And so the the democratization of wealth generation, the access to wealth generation that that's going to create and this the flexibility it's going to create is going to be an important driver for how women get more involved in asset classes. So that's a big trend that we're watching and we have one investment in that space as well. The last one is more specific to something that's important to us as a fund and that's happening kind of across the VC space is that a lot of women have not invested in venture before. They haven't invested in in the big ticket moneymaker things that a lot of our male counterparts have for years. We are also being quite loud and being very active about bringing in women into the fund as first-time check writers because this is a place where a lot of money has been made historically. And so we should all be part of this asset class. It's, it's, it's felt pretty out of reach, I think, for years. And so us and a number of other funds have been quite actively becoming an education channel for women to get involved, to write small checks. So, you know, it doesn't have to be, the perception is that it's going to take $250,000 to get involved in venture. And it, it actually doesn't have to require that, right? It can be something much smaller. And so you can get involved, you can learn a lot, you can you know, then decide to write bigger checks later. But, you know, putting some capital to work in a way that has returns is a different way for women to deploy capital than they have previously. Philanthropic donations are very easy for women. Like the the altruisticness of that, and like, great, I'll do blah 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 with this foundation, and they'll do it without thinking about it. But the same human thinking about putting that same check into venture causes pause. And as well, let me talk to my partner. Let me talk to my husband. Let me talk to you know the person in my family who manages our bigger investments. And so, we, and that's I think is going to be a generational shift. So you know, if we talk to any of my parents are your parents and I'm making assumptions, but you know, my, my mom doesn't know what I do, nor does she, nor could she write a check into a fund like mine because it's, it's kind of outside of her purview. I'll sit down and teach her about it, but it's not top of mind. But I think for our generation, it's becoming much more top of mind. So we're likely to see just a lot more women active with their capital in this space. As I'm listening to you, Nassim, just a number of different paths that you and the team are truly paving, for lack of a better word, to, um, again, bring along, educate. I think that's the theme in your mission in life, in the scene that I know. And uh, it resonates even when I was kind of announcing your bio at the beginning. It's very much consistent in everything that you have done in life. And that, in and by itself, is, is so 
powerful and uh, calls for a ton of celebration. It's truly an honor to have you on the show and uh, to have you as a friend. You're doing amazing, amazing work. Congratulations to you and the team. I wish you guys the very best in the next few months as you close the first front and you're doing already amazing work. Any final thoughts that you want to leave with us in particular for people that want to reach out? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, so there's a couple different ways. Our website, emmelineventures.vc, uh, has the recap on our thesis, our entire portfolio. And there's a link at the bottom to either invest with us or pitch us. So it's an easy spot to let us know that you want to get involved. I am on Twitter. So you can find me at Nassim Sayani. You'll find me. I'm not as active as I'd like to be, but I'm certainly there. And so happy to engage. And then LinkedIn is very easy, fairly active on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Email is always the easiest. So Nassim at emmelineventures.vc is perfect. I do manage all of our deal flows. So send founders to us. I'll have, I'm meeting anywhere from eight to 10 a week. So I'm happy to meet as many great humans as I can building great things. And then if you want to invest, I would love to have that conversation as well. Like I said, we're actively in the depths of fundraising. Check sizes are very flexible. Uh, we are working with both individuals like yourself and we are now getting into the larger family office institutional conversations to get, you know, the the bigger chunk of the checks in. So it's all it's all racing. But if you have any interest in learning more, want to ask questions, we're happy for any questions, anything that can help facilitate education to get more people involved. Please let us know and let's talk because we want to create as much of an open conversation, both around what we're building as a fund and, you know, what it means for the different sectors we're investing in, because we're here to change the world and do some good and make some money. So let's do that all together. Yeah, get in touch with Nassim so you can be part of paving the path for amazing ideas and companies and generational changes that are happening in many directions, but especially also in healthcare. Nassim, pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about everything we're doing and the change we're making. And I appreciate the forum to do that with you and, and also love that you're part of the fund and that we've stayed in touch for so long. So everything you're doing is fantastic. And I'm so happy to know you. So thanks for having me. Thank you, Nassim. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this uh, show. And uh, we wish you a great rest of the day. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.